0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show. And today, I'm talking to Suzanne Fisher. She's a dietitian and nutritionist, and the topic today is about obesity and the superficial advice very often given by doctors to patients living with obesity. A recent research study published by Oxford University Press finds that when doctors tell patients living with obesity to lose weight, the guidance they give is generally vague and commonly not supported by scientific evidence. Obesity is a chronic and relapsing condition, but physicians often lack the proper tools to effectively help their patients lose weight. Giving such vague advice as uh, just change up your lifestyle a bit leaves patients with bad experiences and no real results. Studies show that doctors give patients information on how to carry out their advice in only 20% of their consultations. They mostly offer weight loss guidance without any detail about how to follow it. Dietitian and nutritionist Suzanne Fisher sheds light on this topic and other diet-related current events and headlines. She's been featured in Men's Health, Runner's World, USA Today, Prevention, Reader's Digest, Glamour, Self, and many more. Welcome to the show, Suzanne.
1: Thank you so much for having me today.
0: I think this is such an important topic, and I think uh, what we're going to talk about, the responsibility of physicians to deal with the topic of obesity or with their obese patients and they're not doing it. So why aren't they doing it? What, what, what's the difficulty? Why can't doctors talk, of, they talk about everything else? They talk about cancer and, and uh, strokes and everything, but they can't talk about weight or obesity?
1: I think part of the issue that we seem to forget is that physicians don't really receive any nutritional training when they're in medical school. There's been studies that during the four years of medical school that most medical students spend less than 20 hours. I mean, this is out of four years of their medical school training on nutrition. And so it does make sense that they don't possess the education in order to work with their clients in the way that, for example, dietitians can to have, you know, to have the clients really make those changes that are needed, so they don't bounce back into these bad habits.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things is a social worker, and social workers work with nutritionists and in doctors' office. Mm-hmm. I think that part of the prob, maybe part of the problem is doctors are some are scientists, some and or they are scientists, and they don't have the skill, even if they have mm-hmm. the education in medical school which would be a good thing. They don't right. have the skills that a nutritionist has to to be Correct. Uh, to be yeah or a social worker or a counselor who's dealing mm-hmm. with these kinds of issues. So maybe we're asking them to do something they can't do. Maybe they have to expand their offices to include someone like you in the office.
1: Yeah. I completely agree 100%. The other issue with physicians is I have worked in physicians' offices and run weight loss and nutrition programs and medical nutritional therapy programs for a very large physician group in the past in South Florida where I traveled from office to office throughout the week seeing their clients and seeing the number of patients that were back-to-back-to-back scheduled within the physician's schedules. There's no way that they can spend a meaningful amount of time In order to make any sort of change with these clients, I know when I work one-on-one with clients, I'm sitting for a straight hour doing a counseling session. I'm sure you can relate being a social worker that it takes more than just like, okay, eat more protein, um, eat these carbs. There's a lot more to mindset and relationship with food than just talking about basic nutrients.
0: I think, I mean, I have a friend who's overweight and, and she walked out, of, she had her consultation, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and starts to walk out of the office and the physician goes, oh, oh, by the way, you could lose a few pounds, that would be helpful. I mean, that was in the last 30 seconds of her visit. I think yeah. they're also afraid of doing of this whole issue of fat shaming. Doesn't that come into yes. it too? Yeah.
1: I I have had clients tell me that they have experienced fat bias at physicians' offices where a client who is suffering with obesity has gone into the office and wasn't given the option to not step on a scale, which, by the way, all patients are allowed to refuse to get on a scale. I don't know if people realize that or not, but you don't have to be weighed if you don't want to. Um, But... Right away, they it was assumed that they had diabetes and high blood pressure without even taking any specific metrics. Just by looking at this specific patient up and down, there was some fat bias and it didn't make her feel uncomfortable. And I felt very badly for her. I don't know if it's intentional, and I think that, you know, physicians do have the best interest of the clients or their patients at heart, but I don't think that they possess the skill set in order to be helping somebody who is suffering with obesity. But I
0: think you made a good point that when you go into the doctor's office, they weigh you first, Mm -hmm. and then they... You go into the cons, you know, consultation room, or you're yeah. examined, or they look at the numbers. Maybe that should be reversed so that the patient can make the connection mm-hmm. between their health and obesity. Like you, you, first you go in and and get your checkup and get mm-hmm. uh, all of your tests, and then the doctor he or she can say, perhaps it's related to your weight because you are. Oh, let's we need to weigh you because your numbers aren't good or whatever it is, and right. and then. I think that maybe is a a better scenario
1: it it might be definitely, but even even if they did do the weight initially, I have found clients where um the weight and the health of the person don't go hand in hand where you can have somebody who is i'm not talking about morbid obesity or somebody who is you know super obese at say a hundred pounds over what they should be, but I'm talking about somebody who might just be somewhat overweight. For example, that's not always an indicator of poor health. You could have somebody who's extremely thin who's in poor health. So I think sometimes, though, physicians or even a lot of medical professionals will just automatically assume because somebody lives in a larger body that they're unhealthy, but that's not always the case, and that's what's really interesting You know, some of my clients, they're still uh, considered overweight, but if you look at their metrics over time, their blood pressure, their lipid levels, their A1Cs, they've all come down significantly because they have dropped some weight, but technically, according to the BMI, they're still overweight. So that's interesting as well. Well, obese.
0: Getting back to that's over. What is overweight? Overweight is twenty. When does it become obese? When do you become that's a, obese? That's a yeah.
1: great question. I'm um, typically using a BMI scale, which I'm not a huge fan of, but I know it. Again, it's a medical metric that we that we use. When you hit um, a BMI of 27 to 30, it's considered overweight. When you are 30 or greater. It's considered obesity. Um, that's when you know potentially you know the, you know some techniques or something needs to be done to avoid any potential health complications that could arise in the future.
0: I am one. I have to admit, I'm obsessed with my BMI because I can go online
1: <laughs> and look at
0: it every. I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I do. Um, that's okay. Yeah bragging about my BMI, I have to say, but anyway, uh, but obesity is, and let's talk about this because it, it's, people will say, oh, it's genetic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's, I read one statistic that only 5% of patients uh, who are obese is a result of genetics. It's physiological, mental, social, environmental, all of these factors come into play, Right.
1: I mean, there is some research that if your parents are suffering from obesity, that your propensity to become an adult who suffers from obesity is going to be greater. There is a lot of um genetics involved and, you know, how your body processes certain nutrients, you know, the signals to your brain that you're full. A lot of this is actually... Genetic. I'm not saying that behavioral, um, that behavioral changes or you know behaviors don't cause obesity, but in a lot of cases, it's very hard to lose the weight. It, it's you know I don't try to shame my clients and make it seem like they've done anything wrong. It's more like okay, let's find out what we can do to help you you know, not fix you, but maybe help you to get healthier. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that does make sense. So that's, but as you say, you're doing a lot of counseling and open-ended questions. And I mean, you, Yes. uh, yeah. So yes, you're not shaming them and they feel comfortable. And that's not always the case with, with with physicians as we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what about, and, this is somewhat related. I, I'm I'm beginning to see a lot of children who are overweight. Yeah. And um, now I, I don't I don't want to appear biased, but it seems to me that's not healthy. Uh, if you and, and it's more and more as I you know because I'm always walking and observing, and uh, I do see a lot of heavy children under the age of five. Let's say.
1: Hmm. You know, I don't specialize in pediatrics. Um, I just want to make that, you know, everyone aware of that. But yeah, it, it is a very big problem. And I do wonder, um, kids spending a lot of screen time. I know when my children were younger, they were always outside playing. I notice in my neighborhood, I don't see kids outside playing together as much as I used to in my neighborhood. Um, you know, some of it again can be environmental. Some of it could be, genetic. Some of it could be poor choices, you know. So, I you have to be really careful with children though because, you know, they're still growing. They're not at their given height yet and many children just grow into their weight eventually. And at that point, it is really important if a parent is concerned about their child's weight to contact a um, a dietitian who does specialize in pediatrics to make sure that children are still getting adequate nutrition because they are still growing. And you do need to make sure that you don't interfere with that. It's it's a fine balance when you're dealing with pediatrics. So where do
0: you say, I mean, in terms of, uh, yeah, it is, it's a, and it's sort of a different ball game as you're saying. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then when you're actually dealing with adults. But uh, I mean, the concern is, uh, and I guess maybe I'm asking you about your practice. I mean, mm-hmm. how, yeah, in, in your own practice, when you do you see, I mean, each patient is an individual, do they all come from very different places when it comes to their weight or trying to lose weight or if they're obese or very much overweight? Um, different stories, I guess, is what I'm saying. Do they all have different stories?
1: Absolutely. Everybody is an individual when they come to me. But what I find that's really interesting, the commonality between them all is the relationship they tend to have with food. I have clients who are pro-cycle race, cyclists, racers, um, who you would think, oh, wow, this is an athlete. They have no problems. But when you're dealing with someone like that and you really deep dive into their issues, you find out the issue isn't just that they need help fueling, but hmm, there's some really major relationship issues with food. Down to my moms who, again, have very poor mindset relationship with food. They may be in a different place in their life, but I'm finding that women, I work primarily with women, and I find that women feel like they're not allowed to eat almost, that it looks bad. It, you know, they a lot of them come to me calling specific foods bad, or I was good today, I was bad today because I had a cookie. I just feel like social media has not helped this, and seeing a lot of the, um, you know, the celebrities going on a lot of these weight loss medications, like it's candy, for example, without taking into account that, you know, dealing with weight loss is so much more than just the food. It really is. It's really about mindset and relationship with food.
0: Uh, and I, I, I want to see some of these uh, young mothers, and because you mentioned mm-hmm. women, I, I mean, that's your yeah. practice, uh, who have ba- who will have a baby and they ex- they, they have this like you know two weeks later or six weeks yeah. later you have to look like you did before you had a baby and they're out there and they're exercising or over exercising and i, I it's a, which i never had in my generation uh, right. but and i think that that uh, comment on that it, it seems it's it's the expectation is really harmful
1: it it really is. I feel like there's so much more pressure on women now to look and appear a certain way. And again, I hate to place all the blame on social media, but I do think that it has made things that much worse because they are seeing celebrities who, of course, have access to chefs and dietitians and other things that you know average normal people don't have the finances for. But they're seeing these women drop weight and get back to their pre-pregnancy size like it's nothing, but they also don't know the story behind how did that person do that. It's not healthy to get back. It's pretty impossible to get back to your pre-pregnancy weight in two weeks. We all know that if any of us have had children. (laughs) And it puts so much pressure on women on top of, you know, taking care of a newborn. Plus, if you have other children in the house and I, I just think, you know, when, by the time women come to me, they're so fed up because they've done the starvation diets, the keto, you know, all of the Octavia, all the crazy fad diets, and they're sick of starving. They're sick of starving. They're hungry. They're just very hungry. And they're tired of it I'm frustrated. They're tired and hungry. <laughs> they're starving. Yes. <laughs> All right, so you
0: have, I mean, let's start with that because this particular group, uh, how do you, what do you do? I mean, let's say when you're doing an intake or you're seeing the patient mm-hmm. like this for the first time, uh, what's the strategy or what's your strategy?
1: Typically what I do with clients, I, I have a, a very interesting diet quality assessment that I have clients fill out. It takes about 20 to 25 minutes. And they fill this, um, it's almost like um, a video game kind of a thing. So it makes it fun for them to fill out. And it gives me an idea of their last three months of intake. So it really gives them in um, living color. Essentially, it is a colorful document that I do get. And they do get a copy of it. So they can actually see where their current diet is and where we can go and how we can improve. First thing I tell clients is, you're going to be eating. I don't subscribe to low-calorie diets. You can, anybody can lose weight. You know, you look at something like Octavia where you're eating between 800 to 1,000 calories a day. Of course, women are dropping weight like it's nothing. They're in calorie deficit. Yeah. But then what do you do when you go off it? There's no techniques. There's nothing in place of how to handle situations when you go off the diet. I'm putting quotes around diet. So a lot of what I profess to teach clients is about behavioral modification and lifestyle changes and how to live their lifestyle. That's my big motto is live your lifestyle. If you can't live your lifestyle, it's not the right lifestyle for you.
0: Live your lifestyle. I like that. So that's what you're Yeah. So now that that's where you're and I'm saying you're fostering wellness at the Fisher nutrition systems and women cycling nutrition. Dot com yeah. is where to go. Okay, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so Fisher Nutrition Systems is a couple different things. It's a private practice, which I do meet with clients one on one through virtually, and we also have some courses available. Plus we do also have some um, nutrition software and tools available for for physicians as well as Personal clients, if they just want to use our software for food database, for food logging, we also have some exercise programs on there to keep people on task to make it a little more fun for them. Women's cycling nutrition started during quarantine, during the pandemic. When I started cycling, I was a runner and was injured and couldn't run anymore, so started cycling and realized that there really it's, cycling is a very male-dominated sport. There is not a lot of information for women out there. It's also a very aesthetic sport. And what I mean by that is your body shape and type is right out there. It's highlighted, like ballet, ice skating, gymnastics. And there's a lot of um, disordered eating surrounding this sport, unfortunately, so I wanted to provide women with evidence-based solutions so that they could fuel their rides properly. And they, my motto is: eat to ride, not ride to eat. So you're not cycling to burn unnecessary calories. You're just cycling for the enjoyment because you love it. And that's you know basically trying to again teach women that they're allowed to eat and they're supposed to eat. Our bodies need nourishment, and that comes from food.
0: So you are dieting is not the word. We don't talk about dieting. We talk about wellness, correct? And fostering a good a life and a lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle. And and I guess and that's what it's all about. So how Mm -hmm. and maybe getting back to the beginning because we don't have that much time left. But yeah. So how do we get physicians involved in this process?
1: I think part of the issue, and and not all physicians are like this, but some don't like to give up um, the control of their clients and refer out. I think physicians need to understand um, what they're capable of and what they're not. For example, if I get a referral for a client who has kidney disease, that's not my specialty. I'm going to refer out. I think they need to be okay referring out to qualified um, therapists, social workers, definitely to dietitians, so that mind-body connection can be taken care of. So these, so it's going to become a lifestyle change, not just another diet that somebody's going on, oh, 1,200 calories, you're yeah, losing weight, and then the next two months they're gaining all the weight back. So I think just involving nutritionists and dietitians in their practice, as well as therapists, I think that's extremely important too. Um, And being okay with having them in their offices or referring out if somebody has a private practice and knowing what is and what is not in their wheelhouse, I think would be the most beneficial for their patients.
0: And that sounds like the most practical. So in other words, it's the team approach, whether as yes. you're saying, in the office, or it doesn't have to be in the office. You can make appropriate referrals. But either way, the, client, the patient should have access to that, those services or information. Team approach, yes. that's what keeps, yeah.
1: It's it, just it, good health care, in my opinion. Um, I typically will recommend co- some of my clients see um, a therapist if I feel like their issues are above what I can handle, um so I think it's that team approach like you said and I do feel like that is good healthcare is really taking care of the whole patient not just one small aspect of that patient.
0: I think some of the younger physicians are let's say in a different position than say their older con- uh Contemporaries, and that they're mm-hmm. ready to give up, you mentioned they don't want to give up the control they don't want to give it they want to keep it just you know that they're in control of the whole thing. I think that's changing a little, and I think that's for yeah. the better for some of these younger men and women uh, doctors they're they're much more willing to do as you said, to make these kinds of referrals, and that's a good thing um, and I don't think that's been true, let's say twenty years ago, for instance, um, so we Maybe heading in the right direction,
1: I hope we are, I do, I really hope we are. Um, you know there's some new interesting medications that are out now, so I, I think physicians are starting to realize that you know there is that mind body connection with obesity, and it 's not just because somebody is lazy. Overeating, not exercising—it's um, not always the case, and I think it's important for them to start, you know, to realize that and get rid of the fat bias. Yeah, and, and the
0: mind-body thing—I think I'm seeing more of this, and I'm sure you are too. But even doctors are honing in on uh, the mind-body in meditation. Yep. and meditation. And meditation can be imp- is is important. Uh, there is a yes. connection, and uh, that's sort of I've seen that in the past. I don't know, maybe five years. Uh, yep. And, you know, mainstream, if you want to call them, mainstream physicians are willing to make those kinds of recommendations. It's been great talking to you. Lots of There's so much more to talk about as well. So, um, repeat again, give us a website and or sure. more websites to go to for more information about you and uh, other sites that may be of interest to, you know great. in terms of this topic. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: people can reach me, um, womenscyclingnutrition.com. Um, lots of information about being active and fueling uh, my blog posts. They can also sign up for a free consultation on that website. If they're interested in utilizing the software, they can go to FisherNutritionSystems.com. And my last website, because I do have a bunch of websites, <laughs> to also sign up for one-on-one coaching would be YourVirtualNutritionist.com. They can reach me there as well.
0: I like that. You're a virtual nutritionist, and that's who we've been yep. talking to, Susan Fisher. Thanks so much for being on the show today.
1: You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.